Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, and all early-stage businesses. And we're heard around the world. Small businesses and entrepreneurs are the people that we're going to grow the economy. We're going to create more jobs. We're the ones that are going to change the economic fortunes of ourselves, our employees, the country, and more importantly, our kids. Every one of us needs to embrace entrepreneurship. We need to do whatever we can to help entrepreneurs kickstart the economic recovery and build high-paying jobs, high-skilled jobs, jobs that are suitable for the 21st century. Now, before we get into discussing how we make our businesses successful, I have discovered just how important it is to have a break every little while. Now, don't you just hate that person who comes back to the office and after a vacation and they're all bubbly and happy and they're smiling. They got a really deep tan and they're sicklingly happy and you just hate them straight off. You know, they're bubbly, rejuvenated and refreshed and you feel tired and jaded and just wish they'd go away. Well, you don't want to hear any more about their bloody holiday. You're sick of their holiday already. But you know what? They're onto something. Research has discovered that we all need vacations. Experts urge people to take regular vacations, to go lie on a beach, read a book, and do absolutely nothing. Sleep in. Don't get up at 6 o'clock. Now, research shows that these breaks are profoundly healing, both psychologically and physically. Vacations enable you to unwind, regroup, and you can have a look at life from a whole new perspective. And many people just need the time and space away from that pressure that's relentless every day to recognise things in their life that maybe they hadn't noticed. And on vacation, you can come to a better understanding of your beliefs. You can sit there and ponder your navel and think about all sorts of stuff. You can think about where you're at now, where you want to be, things that you're doing that you might like to change. And that's all very important. But once we're working in our business all the time, we don't get a chance to do that. Vacations can also help prevent burnout. They give you regular time to relax. And you can prevent that sort of overworked, tired feeling, you know, the one that you know just so well. It can also prevent you snapping at your spouse and your kids and fellow workers. So when you go on a vacation, really take a break. You know, being idle is really good for you. It's good for the mind, good for the body, and good for the spirit. It'll restore and rejuvenate you and invigorate you to go and kick the hell out of the world when you get back. Aside from your psychological well-being, your physical state can benefit from a few days off as well. Now, researchers uncovered a link between stress at work, 
and overall well-being, and it's not pretty. Pressure at work can lead to headaches, fatigue, irritability, anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, insomnia. It can even cause a stroke. Bloody hell, who wants that? Now, vacations keep us healthy by lowering the stress levels that can lead to all these health problems. And research has found that after just three days of vacation, you'll have less physical complaints, you'll sleep better, and you'll be in an overall much better mood than when you went on vacation. So I took my own advice. I'm broadcasting today from Hayman Island. It's Australia's most awarded five-star resort, right up in the north of Australia and in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef. So I'm sitting here behind the microphone, red as a lobster. I overdid the sun just a little bit, but I've been very good with the booze, very good with the booze. Now, Hayman is a private island, and it is absolutely magnificent. I've been to 53 countries around this planet. I've seen a huge amount of the world, but this place is really extraordinary. The scenery is just breathtaking. It has to be seen to be believed. And for all of you out there listening, whether you, no matter what part of America you're in or what part of the world you're in, put Hayman on the top of your bucket list. The Great Barrier Reef is one of those places that we've heard about over and over again, and it's one of those places that you really must see. It's magnificent. And the best resort up here by far is Hayman. So it's H-A-N, H-A-N, H-A-Y, M-A-N, like, hey, man. But um, you can sit here by an absolutely extraordinary pool. Go on go on to um, the web and have a look. But you can sit here by this fantastic pool. And we saw whales yesterday, a, a whale and a calf. Um, or you can dive or snorkel in the reef proper. And you can see sea turtles and seahorses and millions of extraordinary coloured fish. I mean, it's really just an amazing place. There's 400 different types of coral. There's 200 different types of birds, 1,500 species of tropical fish. And, you know, you can see dolphins and rays and clams and just snorkelling. You don't have to dive. So I've had a few days of being waited on, fussed over, eating brilliant food, drinking ice-cold beer and margaritas, and the service here is just terrific. So I feel great, apart from being a little sore from the sunburn, but I'm ready to take on the world again. But if you tune in next week and there's no program, you know that I've decided to stay here. <laughs> I mean, it really is that good. So right home and down and the Barry Reef on your to-do list, it will really blow you away. It is phenomenal. Now, back to Earth. The reality is that 97% of all businesses go out of business in the first 10 years. Now, that's an appalling statistic that doesn't help either the economy or unemployment. Now, before I go on, sorry, I forgot. I just wanted to thank Kate Westover, who's lady here on Heyman, who has been fantastic and organised this broadcast for us. And uh, she is one of the great staff here. And... Um, Kate, if you're listening to this, thank you very, very much. Now, one of the major reasons that businesses fail is because they've allowed themselves to be commoditized. 
92% of consumers see the leading brands in any category as being interchangeable. Now, this has caused brand loyalty to totally break down. Now, in 1975, when you went to shopping, your shopping list would have Heinz ketchup or tip-top bread or whatever it is. Today, people just put products, bread, milk, ketchup, and make the decision at the point of purchase. So differentiation, when you differentiate your product from your competitors, it creates strong brand positioning, which creates high customer commitment, high loyalty, it produces strong word of mouth, and strong word of mouth is what we need. Each sale generates another sale. It generates increased profits and increased equity. Now, research shows that 60 to 75% of people try new products because of word of mouth compared to only 20 to 40% that try due to advertising. So word of mouth is at least three times more important than advertising in getting people to try your products. Now, this represents a huge difference in marketing cost. You don't have to spend all that money to get people to think about your product. A few years ago, I remember when all athletes drank either water or soda. Then Gatorade came along as a sports drink. Now, this was a significant point of difference. And then all of a sudden, Gatorade's almost every athlete's drink of choice. And once a brand's built a reputation, it's very hard for competitors to challenge them. Now, since you have to differentiate your product, can you think about this for a minute? Can you tell me your company or product's advantage over your competition in just five or six words? Can you tell me why I should buy from you and not your competitor? If you can't articulate these reasons to me, how the hell are you going to do it when you're trying to do it en masse? You're not going to be able to. So it's called an elevator pitch. Practice your elevator pitch so that in six or seven words, you can say why it is that you're different than your competitors. I saw research that said, and this is extraordinary, that 90% of small businesses do not have a clear differentiation from their competitors. And it's not hard to do. And it doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with the product. You know, I think... Um, Domino's Pizza differentiated themselves extraordinarily well. Now, when you, on Manhattan, there's 15,000 pizza joints. They're everywhere. They're on every corner. So, and they all compete on price. You know, I'll give you this and I'll throw in a coffee or I'll throw in a dessert or it's $6.99 and next door is $5.99. So it's all based on price. Now, Domino's worked out that the major concern of people who ordered home delivery was not great food and not necessarily a great price. What they were concerned about was getting it fast. You know, if you watch a Monday night football, you want the food there while the game's on, don't you? You don't want it after the game, so you want it quick. So Domino's said, 30 minutes or it's free. And that differentiated them from every other fast food company, not only pizza places, that were promoting their products based on 
taste, serving size or price. And Domino's became the largest home delivery food company in the world. And they didn't have to compete solely on price. And they achieved it not by offering you a good pizza. They didn't mention anything about a good pizza. They didn't say you were going to get a hot pizza. They didn't tell you you were going to get extra pepperoni. They didn't tell you you were going to get anything. Except whatever you got, you were going to get quick. So Domino's, they became more resistant to their competitors' price attacks. Domino's expanded globally, dominated the home delivery business, and they really increased their profitability. So if you look online, there are thousands of courier companies. Our Federal Express doesn't offer anything that differs very much from any of their competitors. There are bloody millions of them. You pick up here, you deliver there, you're a courier company. However, once they focused on the primary benefit to people and the nervousness of of company um, management that they wanted to get it there overnight, they came up with a differentiation. When it absolutely, positively has to be there tomorrow, the company took off. Now, they hit the hot button by capitalising on the executive's fear of not getting a package on time. The result, meteoric success. I mean, they were in bankruptcy and they suddenly became a billion-dollar company. And differentiation works for any category of business. It doesn't matter what it is. There was a house in Malibu which, despite heavy advertising, open houses, a procession of agents, they couldn't give this bloody place away. And it remained unsold for years. Then... A lady named Carol Bird, who worked for Caldwell Banker, noticed there were loads of butterflies on the property. Now, why were there butterflies? Because the place had sat empty for years. There's probably loads of all sorts of stuff, but there were lots of butterflies around. So Carol advertised the house as Malibu's Butterfly Haven. And she even put a brass nameplate on the gates saying Malibu's Butterfly Haven. The place sold almost immediately for well above the listing price because the butterflies differentiated the place from every other listing in Malibu. Of course, as soon as somebody moved in, all the butterflies bolted. (laughs) But it was a good way to get rid of the house. Several years ago, um, I developed a differentiation for a health and fitness company called Planet Fitness, and that's been phenomenally successful. And the phrase we introduced, um, we make fitness fun, Challenge the notion held by most people that getting fit was boring and bloody hard work. So because we're first into the market with this idea of fitness being fun, we owned it. And differentiation's an excellent way to change people's perceptions of what your product or service is like. There are a couple of other differentiations that I love. I think Wheaties, breakfast of champions. I think that's great. I mean, what are you going to feed your kids? Are you going to feed them the breakfast cereal that the champions eat? Or are you going to feed them some crap that nobody doesn't make anything, just makes you fat? You're going to pick the champion stuff, aren't you? So that's a great differentiation. Johnson's baby shampoo. No more tears. Every mother with young kids can wrap their mind around no more tears. Now, every other shampoo does exactly the same thing. They don't create tears either. But Johnson's used it first and Johnson's own it. 
I remember when I was getting my son a car, first car. I had this huge blue with my ex-wife because um, she wanted to get Hunter a Volvo because Volvos are the safest cars on the road. He's 16. He's probably a lunatic. Therefore, he needs a safe car. So, and if I go out in front of a thousand people and I say, tell me a safe car, almost unanimously, the whole audience will yell out Volvo. Now, that's a fantastic differentiation from all the other cars on the market. Of course, you've got to reinforce this through all your other advertising messages and your promotions, etc. But nevertheless, it works. Disneyland. I love Disneyland. But Disneyland's the happiest place on earth. The staff at Disney are always bubbly, they're happy, they're extremely polite, they're really courteous. When you ask somebody what they thought of Disneyland, what do they say? I love it. It's fantastic. Do they complain about the hour plus weight in every ride? No. They complain about the $69 admission for adults and kids? Nope. Disneyland's got an emotional, motivating differentiation conveyed in every conceivable application and they do everything possible to live up to it. You cannot be just another Me Too company. Remember, the world's full of Me Too's, but there's only one Microsoft, one Edmund Hillary, one Elvis Presley and one Picasso. You know, every one of us is born with our own unique DNA. Why would you want yourself or your product to be the same as anybody else's? Don't forget, you can create a strong differentiation even if your product or service is exactly the same as 10 competitors. And remember, having a great product is only 10 to 15% of the battle. Having the investment is another 15%. The other 70% is your strategy and your ability to run a business and manage people. Today, I have a great guest. He's a lawyer. He's had a fantastic career with both Fortune 500s and with the greats of the entertainment industry. Keith Berglund's a great guy. Has heaps and heaps and heaps of stories, but he can't tell us any of those. Besides that, he's a great guest. I'm Bob Pritchard. And I'll be back to talk with Keith immediately after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. 
Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Ready for in-your-face sports? Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about? Either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go. You're not going to be shy here. Tune in to Here's the Deal with Mega and Steel, featuring Ike Mega Griffin and Sydney Steel Justice. We've got the facts to back up the talk and invite you to join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, just before the weekend on the Voice America Sports Channel. We tell it like it is. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk with a person who's achieved great success and has, by most standards, had an extraordinary life. Now, my guest today is Keith Berglund, who's had an incredible career as a corporate lawyer and also in the entertainment business in Los Angeles and around the world. Now, after earning several degrees... Keith became a commercial attaché with the Royal Dutch Consulate, then became a treasury analyst and joined a commercial law group in Chicago. For 20 years, he represented some of the biggest companies in the US, Asia, Europe and Latin America. Okay, all boring so far. Lots of people have done that. Then his life got interesting. He He represented the record labels that distributed Death Row Records for 16 years, working with Tupac, and Serge Knight represented Gloria Estefan, represented LA Face Records, did the trial representing BMG, LA Face and Arista when TLC was the number one group in the world. And Keith's done a lot of work in film. In fact, he owned Babette's Feasts, which was an Oscar winner. In fact, I'm uh, working on the fringes with Keith on a project at the moment. Hi, Keith. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good to talk to you. Bob, it's uh, my pleasure to be here and uh, with your audience. Thank you. A 25-year stellar commercial career, a number of years in the entertainment business, quite a contrast, I would imagine, particularly in the personalities and the um, temperaments of the clients. It's uh, it's a quite a different uh, when, when you think that I started out in the embassy world, dealing around the world with kings and queens. Then in the banking world, which was much more formalized, and then dealing with entertainers who oftentimes don't start business until ten, eleven in the evening and go to three, four in the morning. Yeah, and and uh, usually emotional cripples, temperamental, um, egocentrics, and all of that thrown into the mix. Well, that you find in, in many different disciplines. And in the entertainment world, yes, the concept of diva is well known. Mm. But there are some wonderfully warm people as well. And oh, when you see them as friends, no better friends can one have. Mm. 
I agree. Now, I had lunch with a very well-known writer the other day, a guy who has written major feature films, and he told me that his lawyer is absolutely critical to his business. Um, in fact, he doesn't attend any movie-related meetings or even take phone calls without his lawyer there. Now, is that because the movie business is litigious, or is it that you simply can't trust anybody in it, or is it so complex that lawyers become just absolutely essential? I go with the latter part because if you start out in a business deal and thinking that you don't trust them, and there are certainly a number of people that think that way out here in Hollywood, it's not meant for good business. The way that the structuring is and the size of the films really are so complicated, and when you think of all the joint production deals, different countries, different tax incentives, different credits, it becomes very complex, and the creative people are better off focusing on the creative things, and then they have their counsel that's there to help them with making the film successful on the commercial and legal aspects. Yeah, it, with um, is your job complicated if you're representing a talent? Is your job complicated by the fact that, or maybe it's not even true, that um, the studios have fairly um, liberal accounting practices? Well, if you remember the Art Buckwald trial, yep. and when they talk about studio accounting, they refer to the points that you get as monkey points, meaning they're illusory. Right. You would think that you have 15% of the gross profit that would be something in a movie that makes hundreds of millions of dollars, but oftentimes you find out that at the end of the day, those 15% bonus points mean nothing or are worth nothing. So therefore, it's all a function of making sure when you enter into the deal that the accounting definitions for the gross profits are clearly delineated amongst a whole bunch of other things. Does this mean that the better um, a lawyer and the better structured a deal you have, the more chance you've got of getting those points? I mean, you read about the the Johnny Depps and the Jack Nicholsons who... um, do deals on and and get you know forty million, twenty million, sixty million, um, as from points. So it, do they just have better lawyers and spend more money, or that they found a way? Well, remember that? now they, they each went through a different career path. Jack Nicholson right now obviously isn't where he used to be, and. Yeah. Johnny Depp, of course, is one of the greater successes, and his deals are so successful. It's like Iron Man and Robert Downey. Yeah. You know, a lot of the deals wasn't the upfront money. As you know, the upfront money has gone substantially down, and people are now going for the points with the proper definition. They end up making a hell of a lot more money than going for the guaranteed monies up front. Yeah. It's all part of the negotiating posture and the leverage that the actor has. Yeah, the bigger the profile, obviously, uh, the more negotiating leverage they have. How do you keep the studios honest? If you're a lawyer, well, that again, that is, <laughs> and, and if you look at these agreements, for example, let's contrast the music business. You'll have a recording agreement that oftentimes will be anywhere from seventy to ninety pages long. Right now, you ask the simple question. Do you really need to have a 70, 90-page agreement for a recording agreement? And the answer is no. Why are these agreements 70 to 90 pages? 
It's because every time something went wrong in litigation, the in-house legal staffs added that to the recording agreement. So by the time you're done with it, there's not one artist that understands everything that's in their recording agreement. Yeah. Similarly, in film, albeit I think it's a lot simpler, you can have agreements that run many, many pages long, and it's filled with so many intricacies that you've really got to be straight up, and you really got to know what is going on to make sure that your client is properly protected. Yeah. Now, you've had an extensive career in both music and film, so am I taking from that that um, um, music's actually more complex from a uh, protecting your client's perspective than music is? Than uh, film is? Than film? Yeah. Well, what's happened, obviously, the, the music business has changed completely from the downloads to the Napster, so that now they're doing the 360 deals, which means in the prior history in the music deals, the only revenues that the record companies used to take from were the recording royalties. Right. Now they recognized and got smart and are participating in all of the revenues. So, for example, these days, if you're a musical act, oftentimes the biggest monies will come from the touring, the merchandising, publishing, and lastly would be the recording revenues. Right. And uh, what, what, what's happened, it's totally changed everything, and the 360 deals actually are shorter than the traditional long-form recording agreements. In the film side of the world, things have evolved, too, but still, the film world is still more traditional. Yes, you are seeing the digital downloads, but still not yet to the same extent as you've seen in the music business. So it was interesting because I had a discussion with um, the uh, chairman of Warner Brothers, Warner Music, um, on this program a few weeks ago, and he said um, that actually good recording artists are making more money now than they were before. Um, is that because there's more avenues for return, or is it because the contracts are getting tighter, or is it easier to police online sales than it is um, sales that are shipped out of the recording uh, the record company's warehouse? Well, I, I think to be fair to say, they're no longer giving the deals they used to give. Yeah. In the old days, when I've been on all phases, I had a record label, I managed artists. And, of course, I've represented, uh, at the time, five of the seven major recording uh, firms. And you could get big upfront advances, and then you would traditionally end up in a constant unrecouped position because of the way the deals were structured. Yeah. Now you don't get the same upfront money. Remember, 10-plus years ago, a big act like a TLC would do four or five videos an album and oftentimes those videos would run one, two, three million dollars per video. Yeah. They don't do that any longer. Now, if you get a traditional artist, you've got a lot more ways to structure deals. You're seeing the major artists like Madonna signing direct deals with SFX where they're traditional partners, excuse me, non-traditional partners where they're sharing all of the revenues on a tour, for example. Yeah. Uh, the social media, Facebook, Twitter, all of those things, they didn't exist to the same extent 10 years ago. So now the top artists have media-savvy persons that help them with their career, and they can launch their own creative. 
you couple that with the downsizing in the music industry and the notion that they've laid off a tremendous percentage of the people that they used to have. So a lot of the, the in-house work now is done by your own people yeah. if you're the artist. Yeah. So you have more control, and when you're successful, you have the ability to make more money. Right. So, But there yeah. are fewer people getting deals these days. Yeah, yeah. So I'm um, an actor in the early stage of my career, or, or a musician, doesn't matter. I'm just beginning to make a name for myself. Why do I need a lawyer or a good lawyer at that stage? Well, you start out with an, let's start with an actor because I saw when Josh Hartnett came out here to begin with a number of different actors and you see them and, and, uh, they come out here and they're besieged with different persons. And there's three basic agreements that an actor will ultimately end up with. And these are, and this is for the representatives that they will hire. You'll have a talent agent like a CAA, William Morris, if you're an established artist. You'll have a management agreement with a personal manager. And then you'll have a business manager, like an accountant, that will look after your business affairs. Oftentimes, what you will see in these basic agreements, people will take artists that come out here and actors that come out here that don't have the knowledge of what the industry is, and they'll end up entering into these contracts where they sign away all their rights, they sign away their rights at rates that don't make any sense, and they lose control of where it is in their career such that when they do actually become successful, then they find out they've got these horrible contracts where they're stuck with persons. And so it's very important at the very outset to make sure you negotiate your contracts with your representatives in the right manner so that, A, they're accountable to you as an actor to achieve certain things. If they don't achieve that success level, you have the ability to opt out and find a new agent, a new manager, a new business manager. And these are all the things that you want, and then you set in a term. And then in that term, you want to make sure you have sunset provisions, which means if you sever your relationship, what percentage of revenues do they share going down the ladder? Okay. Now, i got to ask you about Death Row Records. They were hugely successful with Dr. Dre, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, and a whole bunch of others. So they presumably had a really good business model at some point. And then came the contract disputes, which led to assaults and shootings and Tupac's murders and other really nasty stuff. So was that, a, was that disintegration due to a lack of defined legal structures, both for the company and for the artists, and, and their contract leading to the contract disputes, or was it personality-driven? They were just, I don't know, from the wrong side of the tracks or whatever. Well, the, you've got to remember that Death Row Records brought rap into the mainstream, and it was the biggest and most powerful force in music at that time. Yeah. They added, they took rap, it became more melodic. Suge Knight gathered together the most creative group of artists and the most talented group of artists between Snoop Dogg, Snoop, Nate Dogg, Dr. Dre, Tupac, and all the other artists they had at Death Row Records. Mm-hmm. And and they generated revenues that, to this day, they're still generating sales after all these years between the re-releases, etc. Now, 
the what ended up happening, there were several litigations and there were big default judgments that were entered against death row records and ultimately Mr. Knight lost control and death row records ended up filing bankruptcy after this great success and ended up now already has changed hands I think three different times since just the last year and a half. Right. And the question becomes it's like anything. You hit it for the moment, and then the question is, is how do you keep that success going? Hmm. It's a difficult challenge. I don't know that they had the infrastructure to support that, although they had very creative people and very strong personality. There were clearly some bad things that happened in that world. But uh, here you go forward, and, and, and the legacy of this music, this great music, is still with us today because... The death row catalog is still generating significant revenues to this day. Yeah, okay. Um, now, you've been involved in some interesting trials. TLC, at the time that you worked with them, was the number one group in the world, and they filed bankruptcy to try to break their contract. Tell us about that. It seems an extreme well, measure. Uh, I, I can speak about the uh, public aspects of the case. I can't comment on certain settlement aspects of the case. But sure. essentially, it goes back to the way that music deals used to be structured. And that is, an artist would get a significant advance to begin with. The group TLC was actually signed into a face through a production company yep. that was headed by a singer known as Pebbles, who remember my Mercedes-Benz and other songs. Yep, yep. And in the urban world, oftentimes, that's how you will see those deals driven, i.e., the artist is signed into a production company that has a relationship to a record label. In this case, the underlying record label was LaFace Records. Yep. Uh, at one time, Pebbles was married to L.A. Reid, one of the two sure. co-founders yep. of... Brilliant of LaFace Records. And what ended up happening in those deals, the artists typically don't get that rich of a deal. And what will happen if they achieve success is then the deal gets renegotiated. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, in this case, you had a group that was number one in the world. They were very highly sought after. Remember back in those days, there were still seven major labels. Yes. There were at least two labels that expressed significant interest in having TLC sign with them. Traditionally, the group thought that they could file a chapter proceeding, be able to reject their contract. In bankruptcy court, they traditionally use what they know, what, what is referred to as the business judgment rule, which means that a contract is typically easily rejected. And then they can go on their way and sign with the label. Right. At that time, it became kind of a bet the record industry case because the notion was if the number one group in the world could file bankruptcy and then get out of their contract, Anybody can. Then how enforceable were any of the contracts for any of the artists? Yeah. yeah. Back in those days, you saw a lot of artists that ended up filing bankruptcy to try to break their contracts. My first case was representing Keith Sweat, uh, who, who had a group by the name of Silk, which had a million, their first album was a million seller, and they wanted to break their contract with Keith Sweat, and, and uh, we ended up reaching a deal, and, and the unfortunate thing was uh, Silk never was as popular as they were on that label, but Keith Sweat went on, and he had his biggest album release, which was Twisted. They mm -hmm. had the, the song Twisted. Yeah. And what ends up happening 
is, uh, and in this case, Tony Braxton tried to file bankruptcy as well. And her career was never the same. In TLC, we were ultimately able to reach an agreement. Uh, they did uh, release a, another album, uh, which was No Scrubs, which was another number one album. And unfortunately, uh, Lisa Lopez left. I passed away. And uh, that was the story of that. But it was a, a very interesting trial. There were a lot of things that happened on the sides. And, uh, you know, it, it was an unfortunate thing. But ultimately, the bankruptcy judge did not end up rejecting the contract. They reached a consensual resolution. But we did have a two-week trial. Yeah. Federal court. Yeah, I know you, you're... Um sworn by confidentiality on a lot of things with being a lawyer but um let's let's finish off you've got to have a good story and you know i know that you know the muscle um world in film very well um you know the gladiators and the arnolds etc got a great story for us to finish this off it's all right if you have it (laughs) i'll tell one of the great and he won an oscar for his handling, you may remember the great scene where Russell Crowe, near the end of the film Gladiator, was facing the number one gladiator yeah. who came out of retirement. And he had the three tigers. Yes. Well, that person was Sven Ole Thorsen, who at one time was the strongest man in the world. Okay. Sizing was about 6'6", 350. Right. He was also a best man with Arnold. He appeared with Arnold, and he's been in over 120 films, but he was in Conan. Wow. Yes, remember, I remember Conan. Yeah, I do remember. And The Terminator. And and Sven, if you remember, they had a great collection of actors. Yeah. In Gladiator, you had uh, Rolf Miller, who was Mr. Universe, you had Jamon Houston, you had all the great actors. And they were together in Malta all at one time, and you can imagine the stories those guys had after their filming. I can imagine. To this day. <laughs> Fair bit of testosterone. And Sven was somebody in days of Conan. You may remember the episode of Conan where Sven, Grace Jones, and Will Chamberlain were in that movie. Will Chamberlain, And yeah, Sven ended that. up going with, with Grace Jones when she was at the height of her musical career after meeting her in Conan. Okay. <laughs> And they were quite the collective pair. Yeah, they were interesting pair, that's for sure. And she still looks great to this day and still performing, living in London. She was just in Copenhagen in Denmark. Okay. Keith, thanks for being my guest today. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'd give you um, Keith's contact details, but he flies below the radar. He has select clients, and uh, for mere mortals like us, no. Anybody that wants to contact me, you're free to give them my information. Okay. So if, you, if you're interested in, in contacting Keith, get in touch with me, bob at bobpritchard.com, and I'll pass it on to him. I see him quite regularly, so um, we'll make sure he gets back to you. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? 
Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show. And I'm coming to you this week from the magnificent resort of Hayman Island, which is smack in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, right up the north of Australia. And uh, if you haven't been here before, you must put it on your bucket list. It is just tremendous and Hayman is just a magnificent resort so put it on your bucket list make sure you do it now we really appreciate all the emails that uh, you send us each week and all the great ideas that people tell us about we uh, are constantly getting business plans and and um, inquiries from people and we do appreciate it and also let us know what you want us to talk about and if we haven't answered your email either on here or off here, we will. And I promise you that we'll um, we'll get round to it. And to show you what a small one, I got a speech booking this morning from Laos, Lagos, Lagos in South in Africa. And uh, it's in Nigeria. It's one of the fastest growing countries in the world. It's got about 8 million people. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love this segment. It doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or have a technology company or whether you're in Nigeria or the US, Australia, the UK or India or wherever you are. We all have the same issues. And this is borne out 
by all of the um, emails that we receive. My first email today is from Penelope Agliera of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who writes, Dear Bob, thanks a lot for your great show. I've learned a lot from your simple explanations of what I always thought was complex. We have a printing and graphics business, and my question is, how do I motivate my employees to do more and think for themselves? I mean, I think this is a pretty common sort of a, a, a question from people. And the ability to motivate employees is one of the greatest skills that an entrepreneur can have. Um, and I think there's nine steps required to be a great leader. The first, be generous with praise. Praise from the boss goes a hell of a long way. Praise every improvement that your team members make. Praise them one-on-one, but also praise them in front of others as well. Secondly, if you have project managers, get rid of them. Empower your staff to work together as a team rather than reporting to one individual. I mean, it'll do wonders. It'll make a hell of a difference. Because what's worse than letting your supervisor down? Letting your team down. Letting your friends down. You know, people tend to come in early and they stay late. They work through lunch and devote more of their time solving problems. Thirdly, make your ideas theirs. Instead of telling people what you want done, ask them in a way that makes them feel like they came up with the idea. The next tip is never criticize or correct. If you're looking for a demotivator, this is it. So try an indirect approach to get people to improve, learn from their mistakes, and fix them. Talk through the solutions. Don't point fingers. The fifth tip is to make everyone a leader. Highlight your top performers' strengths, and they'll be motivated to live up to their reputation as a leader. You know, it's amazing. People live up to the standard for which they're set. The sixth tip is a really enjoyable one. Unexpectedly invite one of your employees to lunch with you. I mean, it's an easy way to remind them that you notice them, that you know they're there, and that you do appreciate their work. The seventh tip is to give recognition and small rewards. Give praise to somebody at a company meeting. Try things like dinners, trophies, spa services, and plaques. You know, all these things work. The eighth tip, have a company picnic or some sort of a function or, you know, dinner or anything like that, anything, birthday party. Just remind them that you're all in this together. Finally, share the rewards and the pain. So when your company does well, celebrate. If there are disappointments, share those too. So if you expect high performance, be honest and transparent. Penelope will send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at bookstores and at Amazon. It's actually got four and a half stars at Amazon. So, um, Get yourself a copy. It really is a step-by-step um, guide to being successful. My second email today is from Alex Simpson. He's from Liverpool in England. I hope you've all been to, 
to Liverpool. I, um, I'm a big Beatles fan and I went up there and did all the sights. It was terrific. Now, Alex writes, Bob, it seems to me that if you want to explode your business away from all of your competitors, you need to come up with something that they don't have. So my idea is, sorry, my question is, I can't even read. My question is, how do I find the next big idea in my business? Well, Alex, companies in every business endeavor, whether they're big or small, they're always looking for that elusive product or idea that will come, you know, that'll be the next best, big, the next big thing. Now we hold think tanks. Some people go as far as to sit around and smoke joints to free their mind and get creative. But inspiration may be a lot closer than you think. The best place to start is with customer feedback. Customers will tell you what they need. They'll say, wouldn't it be great if somebody invented such and such? Well, that's your first clue. Talk to them about the future of their industry. What do they reckon it's going to be like in 2025? And then go and make whatever it is that fulfills what they're looking for. Yeah, you can study blogs, online reviews, and lots of other sources to see what they're talking about in your industry and what they're dreaming about. If there's a whole bunch of people agreeing on the same dream, they may be onto something. Finding new applications and channels for your products and services, that's another way to grow. And making your product simpler or giving it more bells and whistles could also be a way to grow your customer base. Also, you can look to other industries. They don't have to be your industry. Look to other industries for ideas that could translate us into success for your business. You know, the biggest breakthroughs often don't involve completely new ideas, but a novel approach to existing ideas. Doritos, you know, those wonderful corn chips, they increase sales of corn chips by $400 million by putting a curl at the end so that hold more guacamole. They just murdered their competition. So it can be simple. Alex, a copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote a couple of years ago with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson, uh, Robert Bly, and a bunch of others is on its way out to you, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. And my last email today is from Alastair King from Chicago, who writes, I really enjoy the program. Keep up the good work. I realise that to be successful in today's environment, we need to continue to evolve our business and that means we all need to be more creative. How do I encourage my team to think outside the box? Alistair, that's a great question and you're totally correct. We all need to be constantly enhancing our offer. I'm actually going to run out of time before I get to answer this, so I'll answer it next week. But um, in the meanwhile, we will send you out a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets. So by the time I answer your question, you will have it. So remember, the Bob Pritchard Show, we're here to help small businesses like yours to succeed. So if you're a regular listener to the show and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. As I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm talking to you today from magnificent Hayman Island, north of Australia, right in the Barrier Reef, and um, went out snorkeling and, and saw the most amazing array of incredible fish and stingrays and giant turtles and huge clams and 
all sorts of extraordinary things. We're, and the Barrier Reef is really, really beautiful. So Hayman Island, Barrier Reef, put it on your bucket list. Now send in your questions, email me at bobbobpritchard.com, follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and I look forward to being with you again at the same time next week. And next week we'll be back in my hometown of Los Angeles. So until next time, have a fantastic and successful week. Go and kick some butt. I'm going to go and have a cocktail and I will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.